Well, I want to calm your worries that you don't have to feel like guinea pigs because um, I have approximately one sermon under my belt from the first service, so <laughs> I am now a seasoned veteran. Yeah. Well, what I'm about to say to you may come as a bit of a shock. This came as a shock to the junior high students when I told them this. But when I was in high school, I was not in the popular crowd. I was not considered to be cool. Um, Rarely did a female talk to me or show interest in me, though my mom continually assured me that there was a girl out there that would like me someday. But I was not in the in crowd, and I'm not saying that I was an entire outcast either, but I did come to grips with the fact that because of my unpopular status, it had a profound impact on the way my peers treated me. And there were certain places that I did not eat lunch, there were certain girls who would not talk to me, and there were certain activities that I was never invited to. And I learned very early on that a person's status, especially in junior high and high school, makes a huge difference in how that person is treated. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, the sin of showing preference to one kind of person over another. And as I thought about this over the last few weeks, I realized that this kind of behavior has many faces and takes on many forms and even some very ugly forms. For example, think about Adolf Hitler and what he did during World War II, how he considered the Jews to be some sort of cancer to the earth, earth, which he sought to exterminate. And why did he behave this way? Well, he he preferred one group of people over another, and it led to the Holocaust, the slaughtering of, of millions of Jews. Or think about the treatment of blacks during the times of of slavery. The same principle applies there. I mean, how many blacks in our country were considered less than human and horribly mistreated, taken from their homes, simply based on their skin color? Whites were preferred over blacks. And even worse, think about how Christians have been mistreated over the years. Some of you may have heard of the Roman Emperor Nero Caesar in the early days of Christianity who, I guess as a hobby, liked to dip Christians in tar and light them on fire so he could have light for his parties. There was another emperor who hated Christians so much that that he thought that they were the cause of things like natural disasters. He blamed Christians for earthquakes. And things like the slavery, the Holocaust, persecution of Christians, or even experiences that you and I have have had at, at our schools, they're all linked by a common thread, the preferment of one group of people over another. And this type of thing has a name. It's called favoritism. And just examining some of these things, we can see that favoritism has been the cause of some of the most horrible acts in all of history. Favoritism is... A monster, and it feeds on injustice, and we need to take measures to repent of it and slay this monster in our church. And this morning, we're going to look and see what the Bible says about this issue. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of James, 
chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. From this text, you will learn seven truths which expose favoritism as a great evil. That may sound like a lot of points, but they all point to one thing. Favoritism is a great evil. And these seven points should, should thoroughly convince you of that. So you can use these points as sort of roadblocks in your life to protect you against the sin. You can use them as a club to beat the monster of favoritism. And after we look at this text in James, we will also close with some practical ways that you can spot the sin in your life and how you can deal with it. Well, just a word about the book of James. It was actually the first book in the New Testament which was written. It was written to some persecuted Jewish Christians who had been scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria outside of Jerusalem. And James, the brother of the Lord, wrote this letter to give these these people some practical instruction and exhortation on how to live out their faith, how that their faith might become practical in their daily lives in light of their circumstances. And in this letter, James deals with a, a variety of issues, things like dealing with trials and temptation, things like becoming a doer of the word, not merely a hearer, taming the tongue, the relationship to faith and works, overcoming anger, things like this. But one area of vital interest in this letter is the area of favoritism, which James devotes 13 verses to. And the reason he deals with this issue is because some Christians in his day were giving preferential treatment to rich people over poor people. So if you have your Bibles, just follow along as I read James 2, 1 through 13. It says this, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All 13 of these verses deal with the issue of favoritism. And due to the size of this passage, we're only going to be able to survey it and look at some of the highlights. Um, if this passage was like a mountain range, we're only going to be touching on the, the tips. I know that we're used to at this church from Jack of hearing maybe one or two verses at a time, but we're going to try to get all 13 in today. So again, from, these, from this text, we're going to look at seven truths that expose the evils of favoritism. And the first one is found in verse 1. The point is, favoritism is incompatible with faith in Christ. Favoritism 
is incompatible with faith in Christ. Notice what verse 1 says. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. In this verse, we have a simple command, and the command is to not put two things together, and those two things are our faith in Christ and favoritism. These things are like oil and water. They don't mix. They're not to be put together. Putting these together is, is harmful. It would be like trying to um, drink a gallon of milk in less than an hour. It cannot be done. If you've tried it, you know why. So a question we need to ask is, what is it about faith in Christ and favoritism that don't mix? Why are these two things not to be put together? And to answer that, we just need to answer two, two things. What does it mean to have faith in Christ? And what is the definition of favoritism? Well, first, faith is simply to trust in, to have confidence in someone or something. If you watch Oprah, she talks about faith quite a bit with her spiritual gurus that come on that show. But she would tell you to have faith in faith. Have faith in faith, which is really faith in nothing. But Christians are to have a specific object of their faith. There is a specific person that we trust in. And that person is told for us in in this verse, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that James refers to our Savior with four different titles. He calls him Glorious, Lord, um, Jesus, and Christ. Christ means Messiah, Jesus means Savior, Lord means Master, and Glorious refers to his deity, his absolute beauty and splendor and exaltation above all things. And so if you are a person who truly has faith in Christ, you will not only believe those certain things about him, but you will fully commit to Christ in all of who he is. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your God. To trust Christ is to seek obedience to him in every area of your life. And in this text, in this context, favoritism. This is an area that you need to seek obedience to Christ. And what does the Bible say specifically about that outside of James? Well, Leviticus 19.15, you don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. tells us that favoritism is forbidden. It says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Proverbs 24.23 says, To show partiality in judgment is not good. Hence, favoritism is specifically against a command of God. And if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you will seek obedience to him in that area. And not only that, Romans 2.11 tells us that there is no partiality within God himself. The reason we have this command to not show favoritism is because God is not that way. God is not a God who shows partiality to anyone. So to have Christian faith and show favoritism is a contradiction. It's a contradiction of what God's word has said, and it is a contradiction of who God is in himself. So what's favoritism? Well, we can define it this way. The Bible says that showing favoritism is to make a decision or judgment about someone based solely upon their outside appearance, based solely upon their outward appearance. I'll read that again. Favoritism is to make a decision or judgment about someone based solely on their outside appearance. It's to show preferential treatment to one person 
over another. It's to make unjust decisions or distinctions by treating one person better than the, better than the other based solely upon outward appearance. In verses 2 and 3, you can look there, give us an illustration of what this looks like in action. James says, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man dressed in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. You see that example? That's not extreme as something that we've already looked at, like the Holocaust or slavery or the mistreatment of Christians. It seems something so common that we'd see almost anywhere. But in this example, preferential treatment is given to one person over another just based on their outward appearance. One is rich, the other is poor. One is dressed nice, the other one's dressed in rags. And so special treatment is given to the one who is dressed dressed nice. Now think about yourself, because I know it's sometimes difficult in our day and age to tell who's rich and who's poor, unless we went out to the parking lot and saw what kind of car you drive, I suppose. But imagine yourself, say, back in high school, and you have the opportunity to have lunch with an unpopular person or to have lunch with, say, the captain of the cool club. And instead of seeking to include both in your lunch, you tell the unpopular person that you'll be joining the popular crowd for lunch and he's not invited. And when you've done that, have you just not made a judgment based on a person's status? That's what favoritism is. Now think about this. Have you ever been interested in a person or give special treatment to a person just because they were popular or funny or good-looking Well, this is what the Bible says is showing favoritism. And this behavior is what is incompatible with our faith in Christ. That's your first point. Favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. But what do you think would be the consequences of this kind of sin? What does it do to you? Or what does it make you become? Well, this leads to our next point. Point two, favoritism divides the church. This is found in in verse 4. It says, when you show favoritism, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And the implied answer to that question is, well, yes. The word distinction there is used of dividing sheep. It's also used for for doubting. Like if you're someone who doubts, you're divided in your mind. Well, when you show favoritism in the church, you are causing division. You are dividing up people. You're making distinctions based on outside appearance. And this is to have no place in the church. Do you guys know that the church is called a body in the scripture? It's called the body of Christ, that we all have our differing roles and functions to, to build up this body and glorify Jesus. Well, even though we have these differing roles and functions, we're not to exalt one person over another. We're not supposed to exalt the pastors above the pew sitters. We're, we're not to do that. And think about this. Would you cut off a part of your own body? Would you divide yourself up? Would you hack off a limb? Would you hack off an ear or a nose or pull out some organ? You need those organs. They're vital. And when you divide the church, that's what you're doing. We're we're dividing ourselves. And so favoritism cannot have a place there. 
And a good verse to write down is Romans 12.10, which commands us to give preference to all men in honor. To give pref- we're to give preference to one another. We're not to favor one or the other, but give preference to everyone. This is what God says we are to do in the church. Well, not only does favoritism cause division, but it also makes you an evil judge. This is what the text says. You have made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives or evil thoughts or evil intentions. What would you think of a judge who had two criminals stand before him? Maybe they're murderers. And one of these murderers is rich and famous, and the other is not. And so after finding, after both are found guilty, the judge lets one off the hook with the minimum penalty, and the other he gives the maximum penalty. And the one who got the minimum is, of course, the one who is rich and famous. What would you think of that judge? Is that a good judge? That's, that's wicked. That's an evil judge. I wouldn't want that judge as my judge. I wouldn't want a judge who lets evil people run rampant in our society. Well, when you show favoritism, you're operating under that same principle of treating one person better than another. Or think about this. If you've got a speeding ticket before, um, what would you think of a police officer who gave you a speeding ticket for going five miles over the limit, yet he let attractive women off the hook who were going 30? That would be an unbiased, evil decision that that, that that police officer made. But this is the same thing. The same is true of us when we show favoritism in the church. Favoritism makes you become like that evil judge. Favoritism makes you divide the church. And if being a church divider and becoming an evil judge isn't convincing enough to help you realize that favoritism is indeed an evil thing, Look down at verses 5 through 7. In these verses, James exposes that this sin is completely opposite of the way God acts towards, towards, towards the poor. And showing favoritism is just like those who hate God. We're acting the same way as those who hate God. So point four is favoritism is acting unlike God. The text says this in verses 5 and 6. Listen, my beloved brethren... Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And James asked this question because he wants his readers to compare how they were treating the poor to how God treats the poor. And what does it say God does for the poor? It says he chose them to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom. This is the complete opposite of telling a poor person, go sit in the corner, go sit down by my footstool, have a seat on the floor. But God, he grants, he grants poor people enters into his kingdom. And if, to define rich in faith, it just means that he grants them faith. They have an abundance of faith, the faith that saves, the faith that we talked about in verse 1. And that faith leads to entrance into God's kingdom, which he'll bring to earth someday. So if we were to combine these two things together, essentially God blesses the poor. God saves the poor. God gives eternal life to poor people. God richly blesses them. God makes them to be his own children. He treats them like royalty, which is a major contrast to how these these believers were treating poor people in their church. Now, this does not mean that every poor person is guaranteed salvation. This does not mean that a wealthy person cannot be saved. But it does teach that God does not have any unjust biases towards the poor people, which is really the opposite of the way the world thinks. 
because the world exalts people on the basis of their outward appearance. But God doesn't do that. Turn in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 26 and following. These verses expose the way God acts towards those who are downcast or, un- or despised. It says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The world is concerned about good looks. The world is concerned about wealth. The world is concerned about fame and fortune. The world is concerned about what kind of car you drive or how good-looking you are. The world is concerned about muscles and things like that. But God, he doesn't operate according to the world system. God saves the poor. God looks out for the lowly. God has compassion on widows and orphans. God looks out for those who are despised in the world's eyes. And so if we as believers favor a rich person over a poor person or favor a highly esteemed person in the world's eyes over someone who's despised, guess what system we're siding with? We're siding with the world system, and we're siding against God. And look at verse 6. It gives an indictment against this church for how they were treating the poor. He says, you have dishonored the poor man. See, when you show favoritism towards poor Christians, you're dishonoring those whom God has honored. Now think about this. What if, say, we lived under a monarchy and the king asked you to do him a special favor by watching his dogs? Now, you consider that an honor to watch the king's belongings? And wouldn't you give these animals the proper care and the proper treatment and feed them the way they should be if the king granted you that special gift to do that? Well, how much more should we honor those who are God's children? How much more should we honor those who are God's sons and daughters? And all Christians, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're good-looking, whether you're not, they're all God's children. And so we need to treat one another like royalty and not dishonor and not shame one another because of our outward differences. All Christians should be treated like royalty. And showing favoritism then towards other Christians based on these external criteria, it's acting unlike God. We're acting unlike God. And not only is favoritism acting unlike God, but verses uh, 6 and 7 reveal that it's worse than that. It makes us act just like those who are unbelievers, just like those who, who persecute poor people, who have even persecuted the church. One of my favorite movies as a child was the animated version of Robin Hood. Um, and in that movie, there were two evil characters. One was the Sheriff of Nottingham, and the other was Prince John. And these two were all about getting money for themselves and bringing oppression upon the poor and trying to get as much money they could into their treasury. And so these two individuals favored the rich over the poor. And this is what James is trying, the point James is trying to make in verses 6 and 7. And that's our point number 5 is favoritism is comparable to the character of those who hate Christ. They're comparable to those who, who oppress Christians. And thus, if you're someone who's favoring the rich over the poor, you're acting just like the sheriff of Nottingham. You're acting just like Prince John 
did in that movie. Look at the text, verses 6 and 7. It says, Is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? So after explaining how God acts, now we say, look how these rich people act towards you, these, these unbelieving rich people. He says they oppress you and drag you into court, and it's possible that these were Jews who had not become believers yet had Jewish Christians as their employees, and thus when they became Christians, they were upset that they abandoned Judaism for Christianity, and so these Jewish Christians, these, or these rich Jewish non-Christians were persecuting Christians and dragging them into court trying to get every last cent out of them, oppressing them because they became Christians. And even says these rich people are so bad that they blaspheme the fair name by which we have been called, and that just refers to Jesus. We're, we're, uh, we identify ourselves under his name as Christians. Christian means to be a little Christ. But to blaspheme his name is to speak evil about him, to speak injuriously, to insult his name. And that's what these, these, these rich, oppressing Jews were doing to those who had become Christians. And so when you show favoritism towards poor people or you towards show, show favoritism towards anyone, guess who you're acting like? You're acting just like those who oppress. You're no different than Nero Caesar who lit Christians on fire. You're no different than any of the emperors of Rome who constantly persecuted Christians in many ways that I won't even mention. But favoritism is to act like those who oppress people. Favoritism is to act like those who blaspheme the name of Christ. And when you show favoritism, you're acting just like an unbeliever. And that's why it's such a serious sin. And so I hope that you're starting to understand this as we go through this text, that favoritism is not a small thing. It's not something that we can just push under the carpet like it's no big deal. It's a major thing. And as we look at the rest of the verses, you're going to see that it's something you need to take very, very seriously because God takes it very, very seriously. Our sixth point is found in verses 8 through 11. It's this. Favoritism violates the royal law. And we'll find out what that is as we read. Verses 8 and 9 say, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The command to love your neighbor as yourself is found in the book of Leviticus 19.18. You don't need to turn there, but that's where it's found. But here in this verse, James calls the law to love your neighbor as yourself. He calls it the royal law. And the reason he does that is because if it's royal, it comes from royalty. And Jesus is the king. This law is from God himself, the king of kings. And because it's from the king, it makes it the highest law in the land. And so to disobey this is to dis disobey the king himself. And when it comes to this law, we know this is especially true because the law to love your neighbor as yourself, pretty much every other command dealing with personal relationships fits right under this, this command to love your neighbor as yourself. Whether it be, you know, stealing or lying, these all violate the law to love your neighbor. And so when you show favoritism, it says in the text, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. You've broken the royal law. Thus, to, to show partiality is not to love your neighbor, but to hate him. Now, if a person goes five miles over the speed limit versus 30, do both those break the law? They both do. It doesn't matter 
to what extent, but they both break the law. And the same is true when it comes to this royal law, the law to love your neighbor as yourself. Look what it goes on to say in verses 10 through 11. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. See, here we have one law, but many different ways to break it. And it doesn't matter if you've murdered. It doesn't matter if you've committed adultery. It doesn't matter if you've stolen. It doesn't matter if you've lied or if you've shown partiality. All these are a violation of that law. So if you break this command to love your neighbor by showing partiality, you're just as guilty as someone who's a murderer and just as guilty as someone who's an adulterer. That's what this text teaches. And this verse should cut away any flippant attitude you might have towards, towards this sin or any sin. Now, taking into consideration the fact that favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ, favoritism divides the church, favoritism makes you an evil judge, favoritism is inconsistent with the way God acts and very consistent with the way those who blaspheme Christ act, it's a sin just as wretched as murder and adultery. James ends his discourse on this subject with a, with a warning, and it's found in verses 12 to 13. And this is our seventh and final point regarding the evil of favoritism. Favoritism evidences how God will judge you. I'll say that one more time. Favoritism evidences how God will judge you. Look down at verse 12. It says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. And if you don't know what the law of liberty is, you can read about it back in chapter 1, verse 25. And it refers to the law of liberty as perfect, as something we need to look into, something we need to abide by, something we need to remember and not forget, and something we need to obey. In a nutshell, the law of liberty is simply God's word, the scriptures. But the reason that it's called the law of liberty here is because of what the scripture has the power to do. Psalm 19 says it has the power to restore the soul. Jeremiah tells us that the word of God is like a hammer which smashes a rock. It's like a fire that consumes. Hebrews tells us, that it, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Romans tells us that the word of God is the power of God for salvation. There's power in God's word, and it has a power to give liberty, which is freedom. God's word has, a, has the power to set people free from their sins. And so if you are to speak and act as one who is to be judged by the law of liberty, that means you need to compare the way you live your life to what God's word says. Does your life reflect the fact that you've been freed from, from sin? Does your, does your life reflect the fact that you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to, to righteousness? That's what it is to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. And you need to ask yourself, specifically in the area of favoritism, do I live in this area like I have been set free? Do I live like I've been born again? Do I live like I'm a new creature in Christ? And you must live like God is going to judge your life on the basis of that. Verse 13 stresses the importance and seriousness of living rightly in this area. It says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And here James does something interesting. He equates showing favoritism with being unmerciful. To show mercy would be to show kindness and concern for 
someone in trouble. That's one definition of mercy. And so if you show partiality, you're not a merciful person. Is it merciful to tell the poor man to go sit in the corner? Is it merciful to avoid fellowship with those of differing races? Is it merciful to avoid conversation with certain people who you deem to be unattractive or unpopular or social misfits? See, James warns that those who show no mercy in this life should not expect to receive mercy when God judges. But the converse is true, that those who do show mercy by not showing favoritism should expect to receive mercy. But the last line of this this text on favoritism is mercy triumphs over judgment. But it still is a sin that you need to take seriously because it's a sin that God judges. Well, you've seen seven points very rapidly exposing favoritism as a great evil. First, favoritism is incompatible with, with saving faith. Favoritism divides the church. Favoritism makes you become like an evil judge. Favoritism is acting unlike God. Favoritism is acting just like those who hate Christ. It is a violation of the law to love your neighbor, and your lifestyle on this area reflects how God will judge you. It's a sin that we should not take lightly, but you must take measures to guard against it. And since this sin is so prevalent in, in not only this church, but everywhere... I've I've identified some ways for us that we can spot this sin and upon knowing what these sins are, we can turn away from them. And so I I have 10 common ways you can spot favoritism in your life. And these are things that most of us can relate to. Number one is racism. Do you prefer those who belong to a particular race? Or do you automatically think something about someone of a particular race just because of their skin color? This is the sin of favoritism. Number two, sexism. Preferring those of the same gender as you. And how many of us find ourselves doing this on a regular basis? This is the sin of favoritism. This next one is one I made up. Same age-ism. Do you prefer those who are in the same age group? As you, man, let me just pick on the older people and the younger people here for a minute. Um, Let me ask you who are elderly, and you can define what elderly means for yourself. (laughs) But if you are a person who is elderly, when was the last time you spent time with someone in junior high who was not your grandchild? And if there's any junior hires in here, when's the last time you spent time with someone with gray hair who's not your grandma? You see, there's a command in the Bible in Titus 2 that tells us that older men are to teach younger men and older women are to teach younger women. And how can you do that if you only spend time with your own age group? And so I would encourage you to find some younger people if you're older and spend time with them to disciple them. If you're younger, find some older people so they can impart their wisdom to you. And one thing that really bothers me as, as I work in youth ministry is that I hear this a lot. Um, oh, I just can't work with youth. You've got to be able to relate to them. Well, I'll just tell you, nobody can relate to a junior hire. Okay? <laughs> Number three. 
If, if you're good at rebuking people, then you're perfect for junior high ministry. Right. But don't think that, that youth ministry is not for you, because youth ministry is for you. And for youth, elderly ministry is for you. God doesn't want us to make distinctions in the church based on what age group we're in. So if you're young, hang out with some old people. If you're old, hang out with some young people. If you're young married, hang out with some older marrieds, and so on. Unwillingness to spend time with those older than you or younger than you is favoritism towards your own age group. And this is the sin of favoritism. Number four, beautyism. Do you prefer those who are better looking in the world's eyes over those who are not? And I'll address you single guys, including myself specifically. Do you ever find yourself giving all the attention to the attractive single girls and very little to those who you deem unattractive? And think about how dangerous that is for the church. If every single guy only gave attention to the attractive girls, what would the girls start thinking is valued here? Good looks, charm, and beauty. But what does the Bible say about those things? They are vain and fleeting. But on the other hand, if we give equal time to all the girls and, and find ourselves attracted to girls who are godly and who fear the Lord, what does that say? That a good thing for you to do as a girl is fear the Lord and be godly. So don't let the sin of favoritism deceive these single girls into thinking that they should value looks when they shouldn't. This is the sin of favoritism. Number five, rich and famous-ism. This was the sin that the church, in, the church that James wrote dealt with. Do you prefer rich and famous people over the rest? And maybe to give you an example, what if, say, some Lakers like Kobe Bryant or Shaq were to walk in there? Now we're walking here. Would you give them more attention than you would me? <laughs> That's the sin of favoritism. Number six is similar likes-ism. Do you prefer those who like the same things as you do? For example, maybe uh, you like baseball, and so you associate yourselves with those who play baseball and talk about baseball and have baseball fantasy leagues and so on and so forth, and that's the only people you associate yourself with when you come to church. Well, should our fellowship as Christians be divided over these worldly interests? No. Um, it's not wrong to have an interest in baseball or sports in general or music or art or whatever. But having different interests should not divide us up into who we associate ourselves with. And the thing that you need to understand is that as a Christian, all these worldly interests should be superficial, should be the really the last things you guys talk about when you are here because our fellowship revolves around the person of Jesus Christ and our thankfulness to him for what he's done and who he is and our desire to praise him and grow close to him. That's what our fellowship should revolve around. And so if we break fellowship with other believers over worldly interests, we are committing the sin of favoritism. Number seven is elderism, or we could also call this Jack Hughesism. Um, <laughs> do you prefer elders over the rest of the body? And we had a sermon a few weeks ago on 1 Timothy 5, 19 to 21, which gives us a command as believers to rebuke elders who are in sin. And if we are unwilling to do so because of their status as elders, we are showing partiality towards them. That's the sin of favoritism. 
Number eight is friendism. Do you prefer your own friends over others? Now, it's not wrong to have a close friend or a close group of friends or even a best friend, but it is when you neglect the other members of the body of Christ to be with your own friends. Think about the last time you went out of your way to meet someone new at church, or when you come here, do you only talk to your your friends, the people you know well? This is showing favoritism towards them. Number nine is one that I've never struggled with, coolism. Um, do you prefer people who you think are cool over those who are uncool in the world's eyes? And these, this, this thing is very common in student ministries. And we have these little wicked monsters called cliques where these differing groups are formed based on who's cool and who's not, who's popular and who's isn't. This is also the sin of favoritism. And lastly, number 10 is selfism. We could also call this selfishness when you prefer yourself and your own comforts and your own pleasures and desires over that of another person's, you're favoring yourself. This is the sin of favoritism. And so those are a few ways we can see favoritism in the church. And, you know, it applies to other areas of life, in the home, at work. But I specifically tried to point things out that we deal with when we fellowship as believers together. But what are some ways that we can avoid this sin? So... Let me give you some things, some solutions you can employ to avoid being partial. Number one is be conscious of the utter wickedness of favoritism. Have a constant awareness about how evil favoritism is, as we've seen in the verses we looked at. Try to recall those seven points whenever you're tempted to favor one person over another and use them, as I said before, as like a roadblock to keep you out of the way of favoritism or use them as clubs to beat the favoritism monster. Number two, be aware of the people you tend to favor. For instance, if you're a single guy, you tend to favor pretty girls. Start learning to practice equality in who you give your attention to. So number two is be aware of the people you tend to favor. Number three, don't make judgments on people solely on how they look dress or what kind of car they drive, etc. You can fill in the blank there. Don't make judges on people solely on how they look, dress, or what kind of car they drive. Number four, this is the immediate application of friendism. Talk to someone besides your close friends at church. Number five, practice equality in the attention you give people. Say it again. Practice equality in the attention you give people. Number six, this is the application to same ageism. Seek fellowship with those in differing age groups. Don't spend all your time with people just like you or just the same age as you. Seek fellowship with those in differing age groups. Number seven, do not have the attitude that you are better than anyone. This is from Philippians 2.3, a command that tells us to regard others as more important than ourselves. And so don't be like it was in my high school that certain people thought they were too cool for other people or better than other people, too good to fellowship with certain people. Don't have that attitude. Number eight, 
is practice inclusiveness in activities you do. Don't be one who excludes people just because they have some personality quirk you don't like or whatever, but try to include everyone. And lastly, realize that everything that I've told you today is impossible to do. Impossible. Unless you're saved. Unless you've been born again. Because the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says that those who walk in the flesh cannot please God, nor are they able to do so. And the solution to that problem is the Holy Spirit being born again. And so, get saved if you need to get saved. But regardless, if you struggle with this sin, repent of it. Well, today, you've heard seven reasons why this sin is so evil. You've heard ten ways you can spot it in the church. And you've seen several practical steps to avoid it. And so you need to ask yourself a question. Am I going to do something about, about it? Am I going to walk out of this place a changed person? Am I going to wage war with this sin? Or am I going to do nothing? Well, I'll leave you with the words of James from chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Let's pray. Our Lord, you are a great God. You are the one true God and there is no other. Father, we know that you are good and faithful and loving. And we know that one of your attributes is that you are a God who is impartial, that you show partiality to no one. And Lord, because of that, you command us in your word to do the same. So Lord, I pray that you would help us all um, understand the evilness, the wretchedness, the heinousness of, of favoritism. Lord, that is a sin that you hate. It's a sin that's that Christians are not to do. It's incompatible with our faith in Christ. So, God, I pray that you would help us all turn from it. I pray that we could use this message in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray that uh, that many this morning would turn from this sin and that um, there would be no partiality seen in this body, but we would just grow closer to one another and closer to you since we were putting this sin aside. So, God, I pray that you would help us do so. And, Lord, I do also pray that if there's anyone who is not born again in this room, that you would cause them to be made alive from the dead. We know that you can do all things, and so we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.